0: For more information, head on over to centeredinthecity.org and claim your seven-day free trial. Before we mindfully step into our episode today, I want to celebrate that here at Centered in the City, we are launching a Center Yourself this fall challenge and really this is an opportunity to take all of this beautiful fun summer energy and mindfully transition ourselves into fall which typically is a season of getting more grounded starting to you know collect all of the nourishing items out in nature like all the little squirrels start to do and allow ourselves to come back to our center So this challenge is for you if you've been noticing you've been playing a lot this summer and traveling and really just soaking up all of this expansion as we've stepped out a little bit more from the isolation of the pandemic and into more expansion and you're looking for some support to reground, to get more organized, to feel back into a nourishing routine that, that fills you up, kind of those back to school vibes of getting all of your binders and paper clips and pens ready, this is an invitation for you. So you can learn more at centeredinthecity.org slash center dash yourself dash this fall. In today's podcast episode, I am so excited because I get to interview Susan Piver, who is an award-winning author, and we get to discuss her latest book, The Buddhist Enneagram, Nine Paths to Warriorship, which is currently being released on September 13th, but you can pre-order your copy now. And if you do, you actually get a bonus webinar with Susan. So a really amazing opportunity. And a little bit more about Susan, besides being an award-winning author who, this is her 11th book, How Amazing. Susan is a Buddhist teacher and and internationally acclaimed. Her work has been featured in Oprah and the Today Show on CNN and New York Times and Wall Street and many others. She has also started the Open Heart Project, which is the largest virtual mindfulness community with over 20,000 members. In this episode, we get to talk about Susan's new book in more detail and explore the Enneagram and why these personality assessments and other attitudinal assessments are helpful for us to gain insight on who we are and how we be in this world, but also don't define ourselves. Settle into this episode and let's get centered. Susan, welcome to the Center in the City podcast.
1: Thank you. I'm so glad to be here.
0: I want to begin by asking you about a time when you weren't centered
1: oh i would say about 10 minutes ago before (laughs) before we started this conversation i uh i I don't know if i wasn't centered but i i i got angry Mm. and i have many faults i would never suggest otherwise but having a temper being impatient are not among the many faults but somebody messed up the audio recording of my upcoming book, The Buddhist Enneagram, they, made, they moved one piece of text to the wrong place, and that made me really upset, not mm-hmm. just because, oh, that's a mistake, this is not the author's intention, but because somebody made a decision about my creative self-expression or my intention as if I wasn't there. And that's a trigger for me. Mm. Somebody who's just acting as if I'm not there. Nobody likes that. But so I really, I couldn't sleep last night and I, I just was angry. And then I just had to sit with that. I couldn't, there's no way to go stop being angry. I'm angry at you for being angry. Stop that. It doesn't work. So yeah, that's just literally right before this conversation. That's what was going on. Mm.
0: So I'm hearing also how you managed that anger that threw you off center was giving yourself permission just to sit with it
1: yes and giving oneself permission to sit with is often a trick one tries to play on themselves like and then I will feel better Mm. I'm supposed to sit with it then it will go away but to really sit with something that you feel is to sit with it without messing with it Mm. and that's very hard understandably nobody wants to sit around being angry or heartbroken or anything like that, but to literally open to it with a sense of friendship rather than aggression is the gambit. It's not easy.
0: It's the real work there. Thank you for sharing that because I think it's really important that people understand that Buddhist teachers also get thrown off center and aren't <laughs> these, you know, untouchable experiences of, of the human experience still still exist
1: my favorite teachers are in part favored for their complete genuine display of humanity. Mm -hmm. And I really, yeah. So it is good to know that they're out there and having the same experience we are Mm -hmm. with added wisdom that they can share with us.
0: Yeah. And I think the common knowledge is that when we get thrown off center, whether it's anger or impatience or disappointment or you know, cravings or urges that it isn't pleasant to sit with it. Mm-hmm. And yet how much wisdom comes from being in the discomfort of what shows up.
1: Agreed. And, and when you're triggered or off, off center, you feel powerless. It, it, it's like this, this thing has overtaken me and now I want to get rid of it. That further increases the disempowerment but if you sit with it with a sense of uh okay this is here as well as all the other parts of my life i can sit with you Mm -hmm. that's empowering Mm -hmm. you return to the seat of power as it were uh you recover agency Mm -hmm. when you get in the ring with it like no no go away i don't like you you're you're still under the sway Mm -hmm. So to reestablish agency through gentleness is a good trick, if you can do it. (laughs)
0: Friendship, as you said. I love how you phrase that.
1: Yeah. Friendship, exactly.
0: Well, I'm also excited to talk about your upcoming book, which is coming out on September 13th, and it's available for pre-order, which is so exciting, The Buddhist Enneagram for people who are not familiar with the Enneagram, will you give us a little bit of insight of what that is? Because I didn't know of it until about 10 years ago when I was just getting into the coaching world, but Hmm. I have not deeply studied it, but I'm very intrigued by it.
1: That's awesome. Yes, I'm happy to. Uh, Ennea, E-N-N-E-A is a Greek prefix for nine. So the Enneagram posits nine kinds of people. It's people say nine personality types, and that's accurate, but it's not fully accurate. Who you are includes your personality, but extends also far beyond that. And the Enneagram describes the whole terrain, the personality, your personality, and qualities you have that extend beyond personality. So it describes nine ways of being in the world, I think Mm -hmm. is the best way to say it. And we're each one of them. And it, it can be helpful slash daunting slash disappointing slash delightful to find out which one is you.
0: And so are we, we're all one type, but we all have the nine pieces within us, or are we primarily just one type and the one type shows up in different faces and ways?
1: You're one type, but the Enneagram diagram, if anyone looks at it, it's a, it's a circle with numbers around the circle And arrows connecting different numbers. And those arrows have meaning, obviously. And so, for example, two, the number two, has an arrow that points at eight and an arrow that points at four. And so that implies an energetic channel between type two and type eight and type two and type four that there's a boundary there, but it's permeable. Mm. So, yeah, you're you're two, if you are, but you have this relationship to the qualities of eight and this relationship to the qualities of four. And in some sense, of course, we all contain the universe, but it's not particularly helpful in your relationships or your creative work or your finances to use that. Mm -hmm. But to know this is my type and this is my lens and this is how I see things is actually really helpful in a very practical down to earth way. That's what I've found anyway. Mm -hmm.
0: Where did you get the inspiration to explore the enneagram? Because there are many books out there, and there's many enneagram teachers and facilitators to integrate Buddhism into the enneagram. Because those are some of my favorite things: Buddhism and the inner work and the learning about self. So I, I love it.
1: That's awesome. We are we're sisters then, because me too. So I discovered the enneagram many years ago, decades ago, probably. I don't know. Somewhere in the early '90s, mid '90s, I, I read a book called *The Enneagram* by Helen Palmer. At the time, it was basically the only book about the enneagram that wasn't connected to Catholicism or Catholicism, basically, or the work of an uh, Armenian Greek Armenian mystic of many decades ago. So I just I read that book. I'm like, this is so interesting. And then anytime time a book came out, I read it. That's 30 years ago. I also became a Buddhist formally 30 years ago, almost 30 years ago, 29 years. So for me, both of these areas of investigation have been central in my life and the way I look at things and the decisions I make and so on. And for the first probably 20 years, I never, I just like, oh, the Enneagram, that's really useful to me. But then at some point I started teaching it to friends, meaning just explaining it. Have you heard of this thing? And then I started teaching it in my online community, The Open Heart Project, about six or seven years ago, intro to the Enneagram. And over the years, I just came to realize that my Buddhist studies, which point over and over again to the power and importance of compassion and wakefulness, are massively supported by the Enneagram, which gives me a roadmap for how to do those things. So especially compassion, when you discover your Enneagram type or see others for their type uh, as such, because we don't really know what other people's types are, your heart softens. Compassion increases first toward yourself. You let yourself off the hook for not being someone else. And then you start to see others for, oh, they just have a different lens than me. I like it. I don't like it. But it's not personal it's so like you can open to them more fully too. So they naturally went together for me. So I thought to share it with others.
0: Wow. So beautiful. It's really interesting because I've, I've noticed that all of these assessments, whether it's Enneagram, Myers-Briggs, I'm certified in something called the Energy Leadership Index and Human Design, all of these personality or attitudinal assessments, people... I feel like have really gravitated to in the last few years on an extreme kind of trajectory. And I'm curious, what do you think people are craving for when they look to these assessments to help give them insight to themselves?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. And I love them all too. Astrology and Colby's and Strength Finders and all the ones you mentioned, except the last one I'm curious about. I'll have to check it out. I think of them as symbolic languages that describe what's underneath the surface. Mm. And when you find out, for example, say you find out, Oh, I'm a Virgo. You start to look at yourself a little bit differently. Like, yeah, this is what my people do. There's not, not that there's something wrong with me, although there are plenty of things wrong, but (laughs) there's another way to look at it. And I think what people are really looking for is a path to self acceptance mm. and to put down the vitriolic self aggression that most of us experience within ourselves, the harsh inner critic and the endless judgments. And we're looking for a way to hold who we are with more friendship. Mm. And these systems really help us to do that. What do you mm. think? Does that sound right to you?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because I was just having a conversation with a friend who was like, oh, I'm a Virgo. That's why I'm doing this, you mm-hmm. know. And I, it was interesting to hear her say that because it's like, oh, having that kind of label and insight gave her a sense of permission to notice why this personality trait was kind of showing up the way it was showing up, uh, and I totally. think that allowed her to just really
1: soften. Exactly, and that that's a hugely important and potentially dangerous, not for your friend. I'm not saying that, but. We can use these labels, INFJ or Virgo or three or whatever. I'm a yellow and orange. I'm a yellow and (laughs) orange. To ghettoize Mm. mostly other people. Mm. Well, you're this, so you're always going to do that. And then we stop seeing them. We close our eyes to their humanity and we just see the label we put on them or ourselves. Mm. So these labels, these designations are sort of meant to be doors that open, not close. Now, okay, here, this is who you are, stay in your category. For many years, the Enneagram, as I understand it, was only transmitted orally, teacher to student, because it was thought that to understand the Enneagram could be very dangerous outside of the right context, because it can be misused, it can be very manipulative. And so for a very long time, it was only meant to be passed down voice to voice, teacher to student. But of course that was long ago and everything's changed. So mm. I love
0: that discernment of allowing it to be a door to expand and, and offer self-acceptance instead of box in and restrict. So I think that's really important because as you know, our human minds can do a lot of those in both extremes. Totally. In the book, you talk about the Enneagram as more of like warrior types. So can you explain that a little bit more? Yes,
1: yes. In the Buddhist tradition I've trained in, for now, countless billions of years, it seems like, uh, or 29, there's a lot of emphasis placed on warriorship. It's not the case in every form of Buddhism, but there's countless forms of Buddhism. But this particular, in Tibetan Buddhism, there is the notion of warriorship, spiritual warrior. That we're not just here to practice meditation or other spiritual things for ourselves, which is also really good and important, but to be of greater benefit in the world. Mm -hmm. And to be of greater benefit in the world requires stepping into a lot of pain because the world's crazy and we don't want to hide from it. But we all, you know, everybody has their own way of being a warrior. So the first definition that I was taught about warriorship is a warrior is one who is not afraid of Mm themselves. that's where it starts and we all walk through the world afraid of ourselves we're not good enough no one will see us we're not basically we're not good enough in any way we can think of and warriorship begins not with saying i am good enough in every way i can think of but i'm not afraid to see Mm -hmm. who i am so the enneagram is a very potent roadmap for that vision of who you really are. And so I, it's, it requires warriorship. Now, there are many ways to use the Enneagram and other systems that are anti-warriorship, like we were just talking about, to put you in a box, to shut you down, to make you think, you know, my definition of myself is solid and unchanging. But the Enneagram also posits that who you are what you think is bad about you or, or perhaps is also what is great about you and if you can each type has a gift and to own that gift and see that gift requires swimming through navigating through the blinders of personality but it's right there it's right there so i my way of thinking about the enneagram was well there's nine ways to be a warrior Let's let's explore that.
0: Wow, my, my heart just like melted and expanded when you said that we get to not be afraid to see who we are and what a gift that is because there is so much shame that we as humans walk around with when we look inside. You know, a lot of the times when I have talked to people about starting a meditation practice or doing some of the inner work, introspective work, one of their responses is that they're scared to get quiet because they don't want to see or hear what's there. And that always, I have a lot of compassion for that, of course, and I'm always like, wow, like we walk around with ourselves, we live in ourselves, right? This is our home, our body. How do we not want to know what's there and what little crevices are in the corners and all, all those things? And I I love that you frame it with this Buddhist lens of warriorship that takes, you know, strength to, to look inwards, to know all of, all of ourself.
1: Yeah. I, I totally agree with all your points. And particularly about the inner shame that most of us walk around with. And I'll give you an example of how the Enneagram helped me with a form of shame. Please. Um, so I'm a four on the Enneagram, just number four. I, people have names for them, but I just like the numbers. I have friends and I love my friends. But I always was hard on myself for not being a good enough friend. Mm. Because I'm not the kind of friend who will call you to see how you're doing. I'm not the kind of friend who's just like, hey, let's hang out. That would be fun. That's not fun for me. <laughs> I'm so I'm so embarrassed about it. I'm not proud of this, but So it's, and I've lost friends because Mm. they're like, why don't don't you care about me? Why do we, why aren't you in touch with me? And I'm like, yeah, I I must be really selfish. Yeah, I am really selfish in lots of ways. But at one point I realized that because I'm a four and the gaze of four is always turned within, Mm. always look, and fours are attracted by intensity and meaning. Those aren't things that are usually involved in hanging out. And I'm not saying that in a snobby way at all. So at one point, I'm like, yeah, I'm never going to be that kind of friend. But if you're being born or dying, call me. Mm. Because I will rush to your side. And I will stand there with you through thick and thin. I'll be your best friend. Mm. And I'm not saying that as a brag. But because that's what fours can do. So, okay. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to keep shaming myself for not being another kind of friend. I'm going to try to appreciate the kind of friend that I am, and then offer that without hesitation. Mm. So I it, it calmed a lot of things down for me. I stopped beating myself up for doing things that I actually just didn't want to do, but I thought would make mean I was a good friend. So I still want to offer love and be there and and have conversations and so on. But my strengths as a friend are these particular things and not these other things. And that helped me a lot.
0: Yeah, how you were able to untangle from the like societal definition of what it means to be a good friend, quote unquote, and really take ownership in how you enjoy showing up and how your strengths meet friendship, meet that relationship.
1: All nine types have their version of shame that they're carrying because they're not like who someone told them they should be or who the world said they ought to be. And one of the great gifts among many great gifts of the enneagram is releasing that shame mm. and standing in who you actually are.
0: Casey was my coach for a long time, and he brought a little bit of the enneagram into our coaching. And I'm a three. I thought I was a two for the longest time.
1: Mm, <laughs> and then, interesting.
0: And then I'm a three, and just a continual practice of choosing my heart instead of my head was something I had already explored with a different coach in, in my inner work, but then just having some other language and just the Enneagram as like a slight angle shift of, of work also just helped me feel like, okay, yes, this is, this is a patterning and I can set myself free from the patterning. Like I can work to just gently shift where I focus and how I show up and that helped. And it helped me to know that there was a little bit of, um, I don't know the word like ladder is coming up for me like a, there's mm-hmm. a little bit of like a a tool that I could kind of use to to transition the lens of, mm-hmm. of how I was showing up when I get too caught up in my head
1: and what how to it, what, my heart. can I ask what how did you know you were three what made you know what was that moment where you're like yeah that's me well I
0: I did the assessment a few times and came up three both times. But I had, for the longest time, thought I had did the assessment and I was a two. And so I was just like, oh, yeah, I'm a two. And everybody was like, oh, that makes sense. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, and then I re-looked at my assessment and I was like, oh, wait, I'm a three.
1: So about the assessments, it's really good to take them, but there is no good test. Okay, There's no assessment test. that works. Okay, that is so, a problem. Okay, yeah.
0: so this is very highlighting. So how how did you discover you were four?
1: It took me a long time took me a long time. So there is no assessment that's fail safe. You know, if you want to know your Myers-Briggs, there's a really good test. If you want to know your Colby's, which I love the Colby's, there's a test. It will tell you. It's probably 80 to 90% reliable. The Enneagram tests are all over the map. Mm. They're not reliable. They're all crafted through the Enneagram lens of the tester. So what I suggest is take all the tests. There are a lot of free tests. And if you're a millionaire, take all the free and paid tests. But otherwise, just take all the tests, and then you'll see some numbers come up, like two and three. Okay, those are data points. Those are not results. So then if you just start to, then there's a very important second step that I think is essential and sounds really irritatingly complex. But within the Enneagram, there are what what is called the three subtypes or instinctual drives. We all have all three, the self-preservation drive, social drive to belong to something bigger than ourselves, and the intimate drive to connect with someone one-to-one, whether it's sexual or creative or in whatever way. And we are, for each of us, one of those is predominant, and that's this place to start. Which one of those am I? Which subtype? Because then there are three kinds of three, self-preservation three, social three, intimate three, three kinds of two, three kinds of everything. So when I read four, and when I did tests, four never came up. Eight came up and six came up. My God, my God, this must be eight or six. But then when I read self-preservation four, it was game over. That's me. But if I hadn't known to look for the self-preservation delineation, I would have just skipped over four for the rest of my life because I didn't resonate with any of those things, hardly any. But self-preservation four, I did. So if you are thinking I'm a three, great. See if you can find your subtype and then read the self-preservation three or social three or whatever it is and see if it still resonates. Okay. So that's what I suggest people do to type themselves. Take all the tests, hold them as data points, not answers. Mm. Investigate the subtypes and then see. At some point, something's going to go, holy bleep, someone's been reading my diary. This is me. <laughs>
0: Something that's going to click. I love what you just said of take it as data points, because mm. again, I think we can box ourselves into, oh, you know, I'm a three, I'm showing up this way, and this is how I'll always show up. And I'm never going to try to do anything differently.
1: So the, each type has a passion, which in the Enneagram is not good, and a virtue. So the passion of three is deceit. And the virtue is honesty. The passion of two is Pride the virtue is humility so that's something else to look at pride for two is i am needed that's like the governing uh motivation to be needed and for three the governing motivation is to be successful i am successful so the deceit isn't threes or liars it's they lie to themselves about what's really true like and they think that if i appear happy i am happy mm-hmm. If i appear successful i am successful so that's the dis- nature of the deceit not that they're liars but I'm not actually going to look that deeply, and I'm going to pretend that what's on the surface is the whole deal. So for you, if you're still like, I'm not sure, and if you are, great, stay with that. But look at those arcs, pride to humility, deceit to honesty, I am needed versus I am successful. Those are really different.
0: Okay, cool. I'm excited to keep digging in. And of course, we'll love to learn more about all these types through the Buddhist uh-huh. enneagram lens. Um, <laughs> okay. Tell us a little bit about your online community that you offer because it's so inspiring, especially as I'm growing Center in the City, my own community. I'd love to hear like how you've used your platform to to grow and expand these Buddhist teachings and, and modernize them in, in everyday life. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. My online community is called the open heart project. And it's been an online community for eight years. It it was never been a, a, a a person to person community. It's always been virtual and we've always been on zoom and I never thought it was a platform and I never thought I was modernizing anything. And indeed, I don't think I am modernizing anything because Buddhism doesn't need modernizing. It mm-hmm. just needs further expression in all sorts of people in all sorts of people's voices. I, yeah, it was an accident. I just became a meditation teacher and I would teach retreats and then say, "Well, if you want to keep meditating, you should get a meditation instructor because it's important to have someone to talk to about about the practice. And everybody's like, well, I don't know how to find one of those." Mm-hmm. you know I, I just moved to uruguay one person said i live in a yurt outside of juno alaska I'm like yeah okay there's probably no meditation instructors there <laughs> so i just started offering well if you give me your email address i'll send you a meditation instructional video once i think it was every day or something ridiculous and then it became once a week and that's where it stands and it just seemed to fit a need and then after some years it's like well people want to there's some people that want to do more than learn how to meditate they want to become buddhist some small percentage or they want to explore the buddhist teachings more deeply without becoming buddhist which is great or they just want to go deeper so i created a sangha community within the open heart project called the open heart project sangha and that's about 500 people that practice together more closely with me and a little more intensively but then anyone can sign up for the the meditation newsletter that And they're warmly invited to. I'm happy to do that. I hope to do that for the rest of my life. Mm. It's free. That part's free. Mm.
0: What a beautiful offering. And it is true because when you leave retreats, it's like you want to deepen your practice. And even for me in Seattle, it's been hard to find a sangha that I feel like I really connect with. Mm. And so I love that you have filled that space with your teachings and your offerings and interpretations.
1: Thank you. If it's hard in Seattle, it's harder almost every place else. And you know and... Alaska. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and be increasingly difficult because Sangha's Buddhist centers are either becoming very traditional, which I support and love. And I am a traditionalist and I go to traditional retreats and study traditional teachings with traditional teachers. But that's not for everyone. Mm-hmm. Or else they become too cheesy or suspect. Mm. And there's just the, the choices are growing more limited.
0: Yes, it's very true. Susan, where can people learn more about you and pre order the Buddhist Anagram and just stay connected?
1: Oh, thank you. Um, well, my website is openheartproject.com. And if you just put in susanpiper.com, it will go, it will resolve to openheartproject.com. That's my community. That's where. You can find out where I'm teaching and what else is going on in the community, and the Buddhist Enneagram, like my last book, The Four Noble Truths of Love, is self-published, which I am very proud of and excited about. And I will—I've had this is my eleventh book. I can't imagine going back to Simon and Schuster or anything like that. So anyway, that's a lead up to say the best place to buy it is on Amazon although i know not everyone loves amazon that's fine it's on other independent bookshop and independent sites other chain stores it, you can buy it online as of today basically ebook and print and then the audiobook will be uploaded within the next few weeks
0: and congratulations on your 11th book it's so amazing and inspiring and thank you for just putting your work out there in the world. It's a gift. I love following you on Instagram and downloading all of your bite-sized wisdom. So just thank you for, for sharing and expressing all of, all of your insights.
1: It's a pleasure to do so with clearly a like-minded seeker. And I wish you well with your, your work and your podcast and for all the, um, the treasures that you want to bring to the people who are connected with you.
0: Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to the Center in the City podcast. Please take a moment to rate and review this podcast. It helps so much to spread the word, as well as think of a friend that you'd like to share this podcast episode with. We know that sharing is caring. Until next time, stay centered.